Yes, sir. Welcome back, you guys. It's another edition of For the Love of the Game. It is the one and only Nick Andre. I'm glad to have you guys tuned in with me as always. As always, appreciate all the love and support that you guys have given me throughout this podcast. Um, of course, looking to continue to grow the show moving forward. But once again, definitely appreciate you guys. So basketball season's coming up. You know, we just transitioned from summer to fall. Uh, media day is ahead of us in the NBA. Preseason is ahead of us. And we got a lot to talk about. So I'm going to go through a lot of previews of a few teams, maybe not every single team, but a lot of teams that I find very interesting and in, in who I believe can possibly make a good push this season. And today we're going to start with the one and only team in Brooklyn, which is the Nets. And I'm joined by my guy, Peter. Man, what's going on, man? How are you doing? Good, good, good. Thanks for having me. Uh, man, no I'm excited. Problem. Let's talk some ball. Let's go. Yes, sir. And also as well, before before we go ahead, before we move forward, he is the host of the of the show, Nets fans, you know, so make sure to check that out. You're in definitely great content covering the Nets, man, and I'm sure you're going to kill it this season. Yeah, yeah. You can also check me out. I do a Monday live stream with my co-host Spence. It's called Fireside Nets. I do a Monday live stream, and then Nets fans, you know, is my show where I host kind of by myself, but you got right. you got to cover it. Yes, sir, man. Make sure to check all that out. But so let's go ahead and start. You know, let's go ahead and talk about last season. I'll give you guys a little bit of a recap from last season. The Nets finished at 45 and 37, which was six in the Eastern Conference. Um, it was it was really a roller coaster year, to say the least. I mean, Steve Nash got fired after, I believe, seven games. Jock Vaughn ended up taking over, which I'm a big fan of Jock Vaughn myself. Um, it seemed like everything was good. You know, the Nets were one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference uh, leading up to February. And then out of nowhere, Kyrie Irving requested a trade. Actually, it's funny because I, I actually remember exactly where I was at. I was actually on my way to get food. And the next, you know, I see a text saying Kyrie just asked out. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Because it seemed like everything was good. Even throughout all the turmoil that happened in Brooklyn, I felt like this past year was like the one year where it seemed like everything was good. But then he requested a trade. Then he gets sent to the Dallas Mavericks. Then Kevin Durant also requested a trade. And he got sent to the Phoenix Suns. They ended up bringing guys back like Mikel Bridges, like Spencer Dinwiddie. Cameron Johnson, Dorian Finney-Smith, Smith, and the list goes on and on. End up making the playoffs, like I said, six seed, and then losing the first round of Philadelphia, which they actually got swept. So my first question to you, Peter, is what was your biggest takeaway from last season, even with everything that went on? I think you nailed it. I uh, Whenever I go on shows and talk about the Nets last year, I kind of I kind of talk about it as the tale of two teams, right? They went 12 and 1 in December. On January 8th, they're 25 and 13. The second seed in the East, Katie gets hurt. And that's kind of where everything kind of snowballs, right? Because then you have Kyrie Irving sure. leading the Nets. And for like another about a week or so, they still they were still doing pretty well. They're still the second seed. Kyrie Irving is still leading the team. It looks like they're gonna be able to get past this. And what happens is Kyrie Irving was gonna be a free agent. He wants a new deal. The Nets and him have been very, very uh, a lot of a lot of animos- uh, I can't even say it, animosity between them and Joe Sy, the Nets owner, and uh, they couldn't reach a deal, and that's when that trade request comes in. When that happens, KD wants out also, but really you could say the snowball, KD getting hurt. Listen to these stats, all right. Post trade, they go from the second highest field goal percentage. Second best three point shooting team, all the way to the last place in field goal percentage. They're the third best defense field goal percentage wise on defense. 
It goes all the way down to 13th. Two different teams. Two di- it's two different stories. Two totally different teams. And it's crazy, too, because I, I actually forgot about that KD injury. And, and, on, and on top of that, mm-hmm. I forgot about the run that they had in December because that was really where things started to click. Because, I mean, yep. people people may forget, you know, obviously I talked about Steve Nash early in the year. He ended up being dismissed after seven games. But also Kyrie was suspended for some time, too, for people who know. So once he came back, you know, that was when the team started to click. You know, I mean, I think one of the games that kind of come to mind for me was when the Nets played in Toronto and then Kyrie hit that game-winning three-pointer. So, like, that was kind of an indication to me that, you know, everything was clicking. Like, to me, I feel like the Nets were, like, at that moment, like, particularly, like, throughout that first half of the season, I felt like the Nets were, like, at their best, probably the best that they had ever been, even in, like, the four-year stretch that they had Kevin Durant and Kyrie. And I'm including even the year that they had James Harden. So, if it seemed like everything was just going right, and then everything just kind of took a left turn. So, my question to you is, you know, let's let's speak hypothetical. So, Let's say, for instance, Kevin Durant, Kyrie, they stay with the team. They finish out the season. How far do you think that this team could go into playoffs? Do you think conference finals, finals? What do you think? Listen, I'm going to be biased. I've been in that fan my entire life. But I really felt like they could have made the finals. I really felt like they would have had to add maybe one more piece. Because remember, Ben Simmons was not fully healthy. He wasn't really doing his thing, right? We saw little flashes. He put up a double-double here and there. And then we'd have a couple games where, you know, he was invisible. So they needed one more piece. But I I definitely do think that they could have made the finals last year. But then again, I'm biased, right? I mean, nothing wrong with that. I mean, honestly, I mean, they they had a really really good chance. And as crazy as it is, you know, and as great as Kevin Durant has been throughout the course of his career, I want to say he shot like a career high in field goal percentage, or at least at least yeah. close to it around that time. So yeah, so I felt like you know KD was definitely at, like at his best, especially after everything that he had went through, you know, the injuries and of course coming back from mm-hmm. that Achilles tear. And I mean, you make a valid point when he got injured in that game against Miami, like that changed just about everything that season. So it it's just crazy how everything went down. But you know, that's 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 kind of a recap of what went down last year for the Nets, and obviously they move forward this year. And, you know, I've, I've, I've watched media day, you know, it seemed like everybody's, you know, everybody's on the same page as far as building for the team. First, the first thing I want to talk about is, so this offseason, they traded Joe Harris to the to the uh, Detroit Pistons. Harris was there for about seven years, I believe, played an intricate role in, you know, almost all the Nets teams, the 2019 team when they made the, when they made the run to the playoffs with D'Lo. And then, of course, you know, with this team with Katie, Kyrie, James Harden, et cetera. So, you know, like, what can you say about, how important Joe Harris was to the team and how, how do you think he'll be missed with this, uh, with this roster? It's interesting. You bring up Joe Harris and talking about Cam Johnson before these things are kind of interconnected. All right. You got to keep that in mind. The reason why Joe Harris was dumped was because he's making $19.9 million this year. It's interesting. A lot of net fans gave him a lot of flack, but he shot 42% from three. Why? But Net fans weren't very happy. Why? Because he shot over 46% three out of the last four years, right? He was coming off an injury. He had surgery, I think, on his ankle. Wasn't the same all year. And the Nets, they have a lot of contracts, right? They got Ben Simmons making a max. So they had to keep Cam Johnson after the KD trade. The way that that, that, that this kind of unfolded was you had to get rid of Harris to keep Cameron Johnson. Cameron Johnson was never not going to be on the Nets. The Nets were going to have to keep him no matter what. 
it's a it's a blow, but m- most Nets fans will tell you that it's better off this way. You got to keep in mind if you're not following the team, you're not seeing the everyday stuff. A lot of Nets fans are still kind of mad at Joe Harris for that series against Milwaukee. There were a couple of times where he could have iced the series, and the Nets would have moved on, and he he shit the bed. He's he's not been good in the playoffs. And uh, a lot of Nets fans were kind of happy to move on in a way, even though he was very popular during the time that he was here, especially during the D'Lo years, like you mentioned. No, I mean, that, that definitely makes sense. I mean, and, you know, you make a valid point when you talk about the playoffs, per se, because even as good as he was during the regular season, I guess you could say he didn't really bring the best in the playoffs. I mean, obviously, you brought up the series against Milwaukee in 2021. I, I also look at when they played Boston as well, the year that they got swept. I mean, I mean, even though that was a, even though that was a team thing to me, but you know, I think, I think it was still important to get, you know, big plays from like, you know, a lot of key role players, but I'm actually excited to see what Joe Harris can do in Detroit. You know, I mean, obviously he's a key veteran and, you know, we'll see how he, how he adds to that young team moving forward. So my next question to you is, you know, heading into the season, how do you think the Nets will pan out in this Atlantic division, because, you know, I think it's pretty strong to say the least. I, mean, well, I wouldn't say very strong, but, you know, they got some solid teams. Obviously, Boston's there. Uh, Philly is there. You talk about, uh, I think the Knicks and the Nets are kind of neck and neck, you know, as far as, you know, being a young team and really trying to find themselves. So, and then, of course, you have Toronto as well. So, my question to you is, like, how do you think the Nets will pan out in the, in the um, Atlantic division? I'm going to give you, uh, this isn't really an exclusive. I talked about it on my show. But I'm going to give you a little inside information on, on, on the Nets, okay? I'm going to take it all the way back to, to 2021. The Nets just got eliminated by the Bucks, right? Next season coming in, you still have James Harden. You still have Kyrie. Katie just signed the extension. And a month before training camp starts, Mike D'Antoni, who ran the offense the year prior, leaves. Close friend of James Harden. Just randomly, lead, old, you know, older guy. You think he wants to go for uh, a, a, you know, a chip, right? In his older right. age, he winds up going to New Orleans. Okay, that was the first sign that things were kind of going to be a little hectic, and the first sign that even though James Harden made a promise to KD in the offseason prior, th- there was some, there was something going on there. And getting to your question, this is the first time, probably since that day, since since the Buck series that there's no drama around this team, the energy is very different. Is the talent level the same? No. Uh, the, the talent will take them as far as, as they can go. Is, is Ben Simmons healthy? Is he not healthy? I'm not sure, but, but we're going to find out. There's been video of him dunking, probably the, the first time I've seen him dunk in a Nets uniform, like what it would quote-unquote explosion. Mikel Bridges is going to take them far as far as he's going to take them. Ben Simmons is going to take them as far as he's going to take them. And that's what it is. They could finish anywhere from, uh, I don't know, as far as competing against their division rivals, maybe maybe third in the division, or they could be out of the playoffs. It's it's very it's it's very shoddy. We're gonna find out very soon though. So I know I know when it comes to New York, you know, like the Knicks fans and the Nets fans, you know, there's there's a rivalry obviously there. So oh, yeah. my que- my next question to you is do you do you believe that the Nets will finish with a higher seed than the Knicks this year? Uh, no, I, I think the Knicks are going to finish higher. I have okay. to be – in my position, uh, you know, as a quote-unquote podcaster, quote-unquote, I got to be uh, realistic. And the Knicks, they, they got a I good team. That. They got a good team. So I think they'll finish higher. 
Okay. Yeah, I mean that's I mean that's, that's definitely dope, you know, especially you know, putting your bias to the side and just admitting that I thought you were gonna say yes, I'll be honest, but no, but no I mean, you know, but I mean you, you definitely can't you can't you can't ignore what they're doing in New York. I think Kaylin Brussels is a terrific talent. I agree. Um, they got some questions about other guys like maybe RJ Barrett and everything, but I think the Knicks, especially after what they did this past year getting to the semis, you know, I think they're gonna be really good. So my next question, I want to talk about Nick Claxton because I felt like to me he had a most improved caliber year last year, averaging a little over 12 and a half points, nearly 10 rebounds, two and a half block shots. I felt like he didn't really get the recognition that he deserved, but I'm sure Brooklyn fans appreciated, you know, what he was able to bring to the table. So can you talk a little bit about Nick Claxton's uh la- like Nick Claxton last season and what you what you can expect from this up- this upcoming season? All right. So I, I have a background in coaching, right? And um, I'm a big analytics guy. It's I, I don't believe it's the hear all uh, everything, but listen to a couple analytics. This is from B-Ball Index. They they do stuff uh, analytics that they sell to teams, right? This is top notch stuff. They rated Claxton as the best big man defender on the perimeter, fourth big man in rim protection, fifth in defensive playmaking. That uh, that's kind of like steals, blocks, added up together. 99th percentile in pick and roll as a role man and putbacks, 98th percentile in shot blocking and, and transition scoring. This is the making of like a, a top five center. Keep in mind, he led the NBA in field goal percentage last year. This guy was, was a madman. In December, he was averaging 15 points, eight rebounds, two assists. After Katie and Kyrie left, the numbers went down a little bit. He's still, he's still, still almost at the same numbers. He finished the year uh, kind of, I don't know how to say this, but people forgot about him. I, I, I'm not sure what happened. Maybe it is the Kyrie, uh, the 7-Eleven effect, the Katie Kyrie effect. But this man was in the running for a defensive player of the year, and then he just people just forgot about him. I think he's gonna be uh, he he's gonna be a free agent. He's gonna get a max deal. This is gonna be a big year for Clax. I'm, I'll be honest. I'm not. I'm not a big guy on analytics, but the numbers that you mentioned. I mean, to me, it it makes sense. You know, when I'm thinking about the type of season that he had, because I think he improved, improved tremendously. He's, he's easily one of their anchors on the defensive end. Like you talk about the rim protection, you talk about, you know, getting key stops. And then of course that leading to easy transition baskets on the other end, you know, him playing a pick and roll, you know, showing his, showing his um, athleticism and everything. So like, I don't know. I I just felt like, you know, when you, when you think about the rest of the NBA, I just felt like, I felt like Nick Claxton should have been in that most improved conversation. I know that he's not, as flash, you know, he's not your modern day big where, you know, he's spacing the floor and, you know, he's knocking out three point shots on a consistent basis. But when you look at the role that he had on Brooklyn, even before the Katie Kyrie trade and then after, I felt like, I feel like his role on that team was just this phenomenal to me. Yeah. He's going to shoot threes this year. He's going to surprise a lot of people. Gonna I mean, that'll be, that'll be big. I think that'll be really big. And I feel like if, especially if he shoots at a, like at a high level, I'll say maybe, around the 30% mark, you know, if he could shoot around like that mark, I feel like, I feel like people will like really be talking. So I'm excited for Nick Claxton. I love what he did last year and then heading to this year. My next question, the next guy I want to talk about is one and only Ben Simmons. So you guys get him last year from Philadelphia. Um, I want to say he played, I don't have the exact number, but I want to say he played around 40, 42 games or something like that. And then he ended up getting hurt. Um, To me, I feel like Ben is still kind of at least at least from my observation last year. I feel like Ben is still kind of timid. I feel like he's not in like attack mode the way that he once was in Philly. 
So what has been your observation on Ben Simmons? And can you see him having a bigger a bigger year than what he did last year? All right. So uh, people have to keep this in mind, okay? He's coming off the surgery right before training camp starts. Literally the summer before training camp starts last year, he gets, he gets the surgery for, for the disc. Remember, in the Boston series, he doesn't play. He's having back pain, right? Right. Gets the surgery, has a herniated disc. Comes back, doesn't play right. You know, something seems off, like you said. And uh, you know, I did my homework. I, you know, I'm I'm a very big guy on doing my research. I looked up some medical journals on guys that had the same surgery as him, NBA players that had the same surgery as him. The journal said that it takes two years to get their numbers back. The first year, if a guy returned from that injury, he would have about like 60% of his stats, right? And he would miss a ton of games which is just about what happened. I'm expecting a big jump this year. He says he's, he's better. I don't know how much to believe it, right? Like, I, I, last year he said he was back. I, I'm someone that needs to see the action. I, I can't just believe the words at this point that he's saying. But I, I do think he's going to come back, and I do think he's going to play at a very high level. I'm not sure if it's going to be an all-star level, but I would not be uh, shocked if he put up, like, a 12, 10, and 8 type year. I really wouldn't. I mean, that's honestly not really bad because I know I know you know a lot of people, especially you know in the NBA world, you know they're super hard on Ben Simmons. But you know, people got to realize, you know, I we we get it. You know, the jump shot. You know, he struggles to shoot from the perimeter. He, sh- he yeah. struggles from the free throw line. But I think people have to look at the like the entire package of what he brings to the table. You know, Ben is a terrific playmaker, especially with his size and his athleticism. He's able to get to the basket. You know, when he is assertive, he has a very high IQ for the game. Then on top of that, on the defensive end, he can be your anchor. He can really he can guard all five positions. So that's why for me, it's like I don't care. Ben is averaging I don't know a triple double, but it's like you know if he can make an impact, especially with this young Nets team who is looking to make a rise, I think that that'll be great for him. So I'm I'm hoping that he plays at least more than 50 games this year. If he plays 60 games and he averages 12 points, eight assists, I, I say the Nets make the playoffs cleanly. I'll make that prediction right now. I could definitely see it. I could definitely see it. But also another thing, too, is that, you know, I think it comes down to him mentally as well. You know, I think that sometimes, at least to me, it's, it's like sometimes he can kind of get in his head. And I think that sometimes he, he second guesses and he overthinks a lot of things. Like if he just goes out there, he just plays basketball and not worry about this, like the mistakes that he makes. I think that'll be great for him personally. I think the mental thing has kind of been overdone. I think it was a real thing in Philly. I, I don't see it this year for some reason. I'm not sure why. Like again, I'm I could be biased here, but I, I don't I don't see it. I think I, I think we're gonna see uh I don't know, I think we're gonna see a little comeback from Ben this year. And I think that we're gonna end the, the whole narrative, the whole mental thing. I don't think he's gonna shoot well from three. I think free throws are still gonna be a problem. But as far as going downhill, I don't think we'll see that like we saw last year. I'm rooting for it, man. I'm definitely rooting for it. You know, like I said, I mean, Ben, Ben is a guy that can, that can impact the game from so many perspectives. So all he has to do is just be play an intricate role and just be like one of the leading factors of this team. And, you know, and he'll have one, like, he'll, he'll honestly have a really great season, but I want to talk about Mikel Bridges now. Cause you know, obviously, you know, he's, he's on the rise as far as being one of the, at least in my opinion, one of the best players in the Eastern conference, maybe, um, like like we mentioned earlier, you know he was he was he was involved in that KD trade that, that sent KD to Phoenix, and for most of his career he's been known as like a three and D guy. But now 
you take you take him to a new situation in Brooklyn, and now he has the keys as a number one option. So I have some numbers here that 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 he averaged since being traded or after the trade. He averaged around twenty six points a game, four and a half rebounds, and shot forty seven and a half percent from the floor. A few notable games that he had, he had a forty five point game against Miami. And then there was a game that the Nets played in Boston where they ended up coming back. He had 38-10 in that game. So what it, so from your from your lens, what is the ceiling of a guy like Mikel Bridges moving forward? Man, uh as you know in basketball, it's all about kind of like roles, positions, and stuff. We saw Mikel Bridges go from what well, I guess you'd say a three and D guy in Phoenix, right? Mm-hmm. And then he becomes the man in Brooklyn. He's going to get a lot of shots. The ball's going to be in his hands a lot. And like you said, he averaged about 26 points. He had a, he played 27 games with the Nets. The last, the 27th game, keep in mind, he played four seconds because they wanted to keep sure. his you know consecutive game streak alive. So really he played about 26 games. Out of the 26 games that he actually played in, 11 of them he had 30-plus points. Do I think he's going to hit 30 points, you know, average for the season? No. I think about 25 points would be fair. 40% from three, and uh, a high field goal percentage. And I, and I think he is going to take a step, but I'm not sure if he's going to be, like, the 1A guy. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like he's, I like, a good sidekick. I mean, that, 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 that honestly yeah. makes sense. And, you know, and I think that's why a lot of guys, you know, I mean, obviously Dame's in Milwaukee now, but that was why a lot of Nets fans were pushing yeah. for, for Dame to go to a, to a team like Brooklyn. Because, I mean, he's like I said, I mean, you know, Mikael Bridges, you know, I think he's a potential all-star, but I don't know if he'll ever have that ceiling of being like a premier superstar in the NBA. So I if agree. you pair him, if you pair him next to a guy like a Damian Lillard and he could be able to compliment him, you know, obviously with his skills, I, I think that would have been great too. So, you know, it's it's interesting though, but I think that if you I think that him and Ben could work really well. Obviously, you know, with Ben being more rather passive than of course, you know, with Mikael you know, improving as an overall score. I think I think that could be a really great, you know, like at least back or do you know, what do you, what do you think about that? I think where Bridges has to take his game is becoming a shot creator for other people, right? We know that he can score. He shoots like I think it's like over 40% from the corner, uh, from the corners. Uh man, mid-range great. We know that he could do it himself, but as we saw in the in the series against Philadelphia, when you start double teaming him and you don't have any reliable options and he's not creating a shot for somebody else, you have some issues, right? That's a fact. It, it, it's, it, it's so if he's going to take the next step, it's going to be him creating more. Maybe playing with Ben helps. Maybe it doesn't. I'm not really sure. But uh, I, I, I got to say, I'm, I'm happy with the starting lineup of, uh, the I guess you could say, Clax, Bridges, and Ben kind of leading the way. I feel very comfortable with those three, and they're going to play great defense, and maybe that'll lead to some offense transition-wise. Do you possibly see him making the All-Star team this year? Absolutely, 100%. Okay. I, I'd say 90, I like 90% chance he makes it. No, I, like, I definitely like the answer. I mean, it's like I said, I mean, you know, he made a big transition from Phoenix to Brooklyn, and then, of course, being the guy, and then, of course, you know, being able to show his true skill set offensively, you know, not just being – a spot of shooter, but obviously, you know, putting the ball on the floor, you know, creating plays for not only himself, but for others. So I think this is going to be a really big year for Mikel Bridges and we're going to really see him blossom into an all-star caliber player. So, you know, right before we wrap up this episode, man, I want to ask you like this. I want to ask you this one last question. Where does Brooklyn finish in the Eastern conference? 
I want to give you two answers. Yeah. If if they're healthy, I and and guys play well, you could see them maybe. I, I see them in the four, five, six seed. If any of their main players are out for more than like forty games, uh, I I I don't think they even make the playoffs. Like a clack, they have really no backup center. If Claxton is out for like 30, 40 games, it's going to be very hard for them to make the playoffs. I like that. I like that. I mean, I, I mean, I think four is really, really high. But I mean, I mean, you definitely break it down. Well, if everybody yeah, is healthy. Yeah, that's everybody healthy and playing at a. You know, this is Ben putting up 10, 8, and eight. Right. This is Mikel putting up twenty five. This is you know what I mean. This guy's playing at their highest level. You know what I mean. That's like and, their peak, I would say. And and on top of that is everybody being available. I mean, I like it though because yeah. I I'll be real like I was seeing maybe five or maybe possibly six again because I feel like they definitely have a lot of great pieces that can make noise in the Eastern Conference. But the question is, you know, can they overpower the teams like Boston, the teams like Milwaukee? Are they able to compete with even no. like a team like Miami or anything? So I mean, like that was that was the biggest question for me looking at looking at the Nets, but. I think this is going to be a really big year for them. You know, like I said, I mean, you know, if, if they are, if everybody's healthy, if everybody, if everybody's playing together, I think they can have a really good year. And on top of that, you know, it's like I mentioned earlier, earlier in the show, I'm a big Jacques Vaughn fan. You know, I've been a fan of him for a little while. So, you know, we saw what he was able to do last year and I think that's going to be able to transition into, uh, into this year, but that'll wrap up this episode. Peter, I definitely appreciate you joining the show, man. Definitely let the people know where to find you and where to find the pod. Sure, you could check me out on YouTube and Twitter at NetFans. You know, that's my podcast. And then on Mondays, I do a live stream. You could check that out at Fireside Nets. Thanks for having me, Nick. Yes, sir. Not a problem, man. But definitely, man, make sure to check all that out. Uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter, or X, whatever you want to call it, at Love with TGB Ball. Make sure to follow myself uh, um, at Nick Andre ATR. Once again, I appreciate all the feedback and the support that you guys give me. Make sure to like, comment, subscribe on all platforms, Apple, Spotify, you name it. And until next time, y'all, deuces.